You're listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-List online. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith. I hope you're well, especially during this very strange, this eerie time at the moment where we're all locked up inside. I have noticed that my podcast episodes are being listened to a lot more since this bloody virus pandemic took off, so I know a lot of you have got some time on your hands. I hope you're well. I hope you're not drinking too much. I hope you're keeping that side of things fairly balanced because, let's face it, drinking too much sucks. Who am I to pontificate, though? Do whatever the hell you want to do. Um, I I just sincerely want to wish all of you out there that listen to my podcast series uh, a big thank you. And um, if you ever want to chat, you know, you're all music fans. I know that from experience that the people that have reached out have all been individually very cool individuals. So if you want to have a chat over Facebook Messenger, Twitter, whichever way you feel like reaching out to me, go ahead and do that. I can't promise too much because I'm usually fairly busy myself, but I'll always get back to everybody that reaches out and wants to have a chat because of what I'm doing here with the podcast series. So let's get to it then. The interview subject I've got coming up for you, and I know I'm going to mispronounce his surname here. It's Trevor Stranad, I think it is. I think that's how you pronounce Trevor's surname there. And he's from the band Black Dahlia Murder. The reason for the conversation is due to the band's April 17 new release, Verminous. It's a hell of an album. Continues exactly what these guys have been doing for the last 20-odd years or so, which is providing brutal death metal rhythms. I know they get called metalcore a little bit, but... I don't really care. I think they're a death metal band. So here he is, Trevor Stranad from Black Dahlia Murder. Hey, buddy. Hello, mate. How's things? Good, man. Uh, sorry about that. The last guy went over by a couple seconds there, but uh, no. you're my final one. We can uh, take our sweet time if you'd like. Awesome, mate. Yeah, God, don't apologize. I know how busy you've been, mate. Such a, it's such a weird time, isn't it, at the moment as well? I mean, you've got... You got this excellent new album to promote, mate, and um, I, I can't work out. So this, will, I guess, this is my first question for you. Having such a captive audience like there is out there at the moment, given basically nobody anywhere in the world can do anything without risk of catching this bloody insidious virus, so we're all staying inside. Is is it a good thing to be releasing an album at this particular period of time, or is it is it really going to affect business for you guys not being able to tour off the back of it because? I think with you guys in particular, the live arena is really where it's at. Oh, for sure. You know, it's actually both sides of the coin. I think, um, you know, our Testament tour is looking pretty dismal at this point, hmm. um, which is going to hurt a lot, like to not be out the week that the record comes out and you know, hmm. like sell the extra copies to people. And also people won't be able to go to the store to get it. But there's so much time to fester on a new record. You know, people can sit there and listen to it without any distractions. And, um, you know, hopefully this can be the soundtrack to this time, you know, and weirdly yeah. it's, uh, got a lot of plague kind of themes to it, which we had no idea was going to be so like timely, you know, I'm hearing you. I mean, even the title of it, Verm- verminous, I hope I've said it the right way there, but, all I could think of was vermin yeah. and plague and, you know, viruses and all that sort of stuff. And, and yeah, you're, you're on point. Even the album cover, the colour of it, it almost looks um, like, uh, you know, it's radioactive or something. You know, I know it's... it's. Uh, yeah, that was the, uh, the, the whole goal <laughs> there was uh, um, kind of saying that death metal is a plague, like a plague of secret knowledge, 
that uh, mm. and where the rats and roaches and undesirable creepy crawlies like spreading it, you know. That's such a good way of putting it. Death metal is secret knowledge. I like that. I like that a lot. I haven't heard that before, and that really resonates with me because I was talking to Mark Heilman the other day, of course, from Suicide Silence, and I think what you guys are doing as musicians who have a fan base and who are bringing these wonderful riffs and these, these brutal vocals, blast beats to people, I don't think people understand how important it is to a massive cohort of humanity this music truly is and never before really in it certainly in our collective lifetimes is this music going to be as relevant if you like to people's lives as what it is right now and what i talked to mark about was how epic riffs the role that they play in people's lives you know i i know for a fact that people rather than be say medicated for depression or whatever else is going on in their life they mind music they stick to music. Music is the elixir that actually helps them through the day. And I think it's very true with you guys as well. And and it, it's doing that for me right now. You know, like uh, uh, I've always uh, listening to music and checking out new bands and like uh, um, mm. just being a total hound for the underground. And uh, it's keeping me positive right now, keeping me happy. And uh, also to like have this uh, new album, to focus on too it's very uh you know keeping me uplifted and uh yeah you know like it's uh this will hopefully be the soundtrack to uh what's happening right now you know so in a way it's the perfect time for an album to get out because we have nothing to do but listen to it and think about it and mm. uh that the themes are very like plague driven like I, I don't think anyone's going to forget this record, you know, because okay, of this right, whole, like, yeah. think up, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, look, the, I tell you what, I've had a good listen to it. Chris sent it through a couple of days ago, and I think the production could potentially be the best in your career, and, and I genuinely mean that, And because I listen to things, and I make a point of not having the best headphones in the biz, and some people criticise me for it, but I don't care, because... You don't. You, you're never always going to get the pristine. If you get too pristine an audio experience, everything else sounds disappointing by comparison. It's like driving a Bentley and then getting back into your Subaru or your General Motors vehicle. Uh, or whatever yeah, description. I see what you're <laughs> You know what I'm saying? So I, I listen to music on Apple. I've got them on now, AirPods. Okay, now they're convenient, but I know they're not the best sound. Now, what I picked up was that your album sounds just brilliant over these things here and that's a bloody hard thing is to do and i'll dive deeper here because the drum sound I've, i fell in love with the drum sound on this album first because the drums sound pummeling they don't have that typewriter sound going on they actually sound full and what i love is the way that you guys have managed to marry the sound of the bass drum up with the bass guitar which is clearly audible under the guitar shrapnel and I, I don't know how it is so hard to get that right. So was that something that, that you noticed yourself and something that you're really focused on with the other guys? Um, you know, we, we've been wanting like a more classic kind of production value, a bit more live and a bit more raw than mm. a, lot, a lot of our contemporaries that uh, overly pro tools their albums, you know? So mm. we kept the drums real and, uh, yeah, you can really hear the rhythm section, you know, very loud and clear. And like they're kind of um, the way they're intertwined together, you know, is very powerful with this record. And mm. 
I think Two Madsen did uh, an exceptional job of mixing. There's uh, so many details in our music and so much information crammed into some of the pack the passages. Like mm-hmm. it's a uh, we have to be a pretty damn difficult band to mix, I imagine. You know, <laughs> so uh, yes. that he can <laughs> have can every instrument shining. You know, every instrument like sounds great is like legible and clear. And, uh, but it's also not too overly polished, you know, like, uh, uh, it sounds like a more of a mid nineties to late nineties production, you know, like before the whole era kind of like suck the life out of everything. So, uh, you know, it's more painstaking to record the drums live and to not like, um, be building the drums with a computer or, Mm -hmm. um, sliding it onto the grid perfectly. Uh, so there's uh, a real humanity to the record that's important. Yes. It makes it, um, it makes it more timeless. It makes it more, um, like a classic record sounds, I think, you know, and, uh, that was a, a realization a couple of years back. We've hmm. we, we been like towards that, you know, hmm. something else I noticed too. And it's always been uh, the case for you guys to an extent, but the guitar solos on this album are, are fantastic. Then the, the ones that are in removal of the Oak and stake, Holy shit. Really? I mean, your guys, Brandon, uh, is it Brandon that does the solos? Uh, or is uh, it yeah, Brian? Brandon, man, it's Brandon. He, uh, he's, uh, just a virtuoso. Um, mm. he's young, which is insane, but he's yeah. so very wise musically. And, um, you know, we, we let him produce a record mm-hmm. and record the bulk of us. And, uh, he's just stepped into his role in the band, like so, uh, proudly and fearlessly, like it's been amazing. And, uh, yeah, I think this is the, the best like leads we've had. And, uh, they kind of embody both of our previous eras of lead players, like has mm. the, uh, kind of emotional like level that John had the early guitar player. And then like the technical chops of Ryan Knight too, yeah. like somewhere between that. So it's like, you know, has a lot of uh, stylistic technical flair, but still like elicits an emotional response, you know, it talks at the heart. Totally. Yeah. Very Randy Rhodes, mate. I've got to say, that's the first thing that uh, Randy's playing is always that perfect mix between technical ability, shred, and also just raw emotion. And man, he's got it. There's no doubt about uh, that. So he's a, a child of that kind of guitar playing and that yeah. era of guitars, of guitar heroes, and like shrapnel record shredders. And nice. uh, he's uh, he's cut from a different cloth than a lot of young kids in the metal. You know, like he loves. Mm classic heavy metal and rock and uh and six strings that's all he needs you know he doesn't want to play eight <laughs> strings he doesn't want to play seven strings you know he's oh, just God, a, yeah. uh he's a rocker and thank god you guys have never succumbed to the gent thing i've got no problem with Meshuggah and animals as leaders and the, the leading lights of the era periphery but my god the amount of bands that come out with the gent thing at some point in time and that's that's hopefully that's never been a discussion that's taken place in your rehearsal room oh definitely not it's just not like it, it's uh i like certain bands from that walk you know but uh it's not something mm. i ever see us doing you know it just yeah. doesn't fit into our cocktail of sounds and uh 
Um, if anything, the new territories for the newest two records have been like mining like classic heavy metal a bit more, yeah, a bit more uh, wave of British heavy metal sound, a little mm. bit more rock elements. You know, like uh, we're like closing the hi hat on a removal and just like rocking out a little bit there. You know, <laughs> nice, yeah, like some uh, new territory for us, but it's still like very traditional metal kind of tropes you know yeah yeah gotcha yeah and look look, your voice really is the signature of the band there i can always tell it's you guys uh if i've got digital radio on in the background or what have you and the band comes on and i'm not really that familiar with the song but when your vocal comes in wow okay i know it's black dahlia murder right there so mate how, how do you keep the the stamina required because i mean yourself corpse grinder uh David Vincent, I mean, you guys have all been doing it. I know those guys have been doing it a bit longer than you, of course, mate. But, man, you've been doing it 20 years or so, which I don't think people realise. And you've managed to keep your vocal intact. So is there a secret to keeping the stamina that is required for you to do what you do? Um, it's uh, getting a little educated about how to sing and, um, you know, like learning how to breathe <laughs> properly. Oh, yeah, that's um, a big one, yeah. Keeping a reservoir of air, like under your diaphragm, and like um, really practicing a lot, and mm-hmm. um, you know, just it would, um, just experience, dude. Just years of doing it, and like playing for an hour and fifteen minutes every night, like eighteen songs. That's yeah. a lot of vocals, you know. That's a lot. So uh, you just have to like rise to the occasion man and uh prepare yourself do your homework and um yeah you know i think there's a lot of vocalists that are better than me out there there's a lot of vocalists that can get lower or higher or more brutal or whatever but (laughs) i'm just me i just do what i do i don't know like i just i just do my own thing i guess it's influenced by carcass the high and low vocal a little bit of dsi uh, with the whole layering thing yes and um, yes. that's where it all began for me and um yeah i realized my vocal is very polarizing to people you know like uh maybe a little too screechy for some people at times is that right you get that feedback obviously yeah sometimes yeah but um i just do my thing man i just it's just how it came out i don't really know what to say about it other than that Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned Deicide there because I did pick that up. Actually, you know, are you, are you a fan of the earlier stuff or was it uh, more of the oh, Rolf yeah. Santola? Oh, you like the Hoffman era, do you? Hoffman oh yeah, the Hoffman era. Hoffman, it, dude. Uh, everything like from the first record to Serpents is just like absolutely perfect. You know, like I wouldn't <laughs> change anything about it. Yeah, they were probably the first extreme metal band I got into as well. I'll never forget seeing Legion in stores when it first came out, and it scared the shit out of me. That and Immortals Pure Holocaust. I remember they were the two most evil album covers I'd seen at that point, possibly even to this day, really, especially in context to that era. I mean, you you saw that that Blasphogram thing that, that was on Legion, and you thought... You know exactly what you're getting when you get this album, and it will sound nothing like anything else out there. And of course, it didn't. And I remember it took me years to get my head around what was on that album, because it just it sounded like as though they'd got someone that had handed the Hoffman Brothers "Rain in Blood" and said, "Now play it backwards." That's what oh, yeah. 
<laughs> That's uh, what it sounded like yeah. to me. Legion's my favorite, and uh, it was my first two, and uh, it scared the shit out of me. Hmm. The level of like satanic imagery was like unparalleled for me at that point. You know, hmm. definitely scared me. Yeah, I got to say though, I um, I was when I heard that the Hoffman brothers had left, I thought, oh shit, what, what's going to happen here? And then. I I got um, the stench of redemption. I thought it was pretty good, but then when they toured, Deicide toured in two thousand and six with, um, they had uh, Jack Owen and of course Ralph Santola, who Ralph's probably my favourite guitarist of all time. I must say at this point, um, yeah. When I saw them on stage, I couldn't I couldn't believe it. It was like they had that that blend of the Hoffman Brothers death thrash but then ralph had bought this magnificent neoclassical guitar playing alongside and and i think i would actually say that that'd be oh, i don't know whether it'd be my favorite death metal album of all time at this point but certainly inside my top three i couldn't leave death or, or morbid angel out of it either so in, in anywhere in those three there but i was just so disappointed when ralph left and, and i did have a couple of conversations with him actually, for the podcast and uh, just in general. We just talked about stuff in general, and I liked Ralph a lot. I thought he was a fantastic bloke. So I really think it's it's a shame that, that things didn't quite work out there more long-term with Ralph and Glenn because I think there's a lot of music that could have been written. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that was a great like rebirth for the band and uh, a definite like milestone for the catalog, for sure. Mm. Yes. Uh, you know, RIP Ralph, man. It's very sad. Yeah, I, I remember talking to uh, Bjorn Speed Street, you know, from Soilwork and uh, Night uh-huh. Flight Orchestra, who was one of his best mates, along with Bill Hudson, who I've gotten to know as well. And um, I, I know Bill too, a little yeah, bit. Bill's fantastic. Bill's a, a great bloke. And all, all these guys, all you guys are, you guys that have achieved some success. I love talking to you guys and the humility that you've got because, you know, it's heavy metal at the end of the day, man, but nobody's got a big head or an ego in our business, I don't find, uh, especially not from my perspective anyway, when I'm talking to any of you guys that have been doing it for a long time. But sorry, I digress. Um, I was talking to Speed and I was talking to him the day, the night before, just for an interview. It was just the way the Cosmos lined things up. And we, we basically made the episode all about Ralph because it was the night before he passed away. Um, and it was very sad, man, I've got to say. The whole thing, you know, it's sort of... Um, he did a Facebook post saying that he was going into hospital and he just never came back out again. Ah, uh, yeah, that's terrible, man. That's so shitty. You know, but uh, we got his music, mate, and and that is very important. Oh, for sure, man. He left a great legacy of uh, playing out a lot of fantastic records and uh, had a definite style of his own, for sure. Mm. Mate, who, who else... When, when you were really getting into music before you joined a band, what what were the bands that really shook your foundation, so to speak? Uh, Megadeth was the first. Um, you know, I had heard metal and liked it. Like, Black Album was, like, everywhere. You know, I was, like, 10. and uh, <laughs> But uh, Countdown to Extinction by Megadeth, like, blew my mind uh, and made me a metalhead and made me, like want to dive into that culture, you know, hmm. but also, um, suffocation Pierce from within was my first death metal record ever. Nice. And, uh, it was brand new. Uh, and, um, that also blew my mind. Definitely. It scared the shit out of me. Um, <laughs> I remember thinking like, wow, this music is so like twisted and so like 
like labyrinthine, like how am I ever going to understand this, you know? Yes. But it came with time for sure. But uh, carcass is another one. Obviously, uh, I have a carcass tattoo on my arm, the tools of the trade. And uh, (laughs) that EP especially, like that was my first glimpse into carcass. And uh, the whole like dual vocal nature just was so scary and the kind of like real gore aspect of the band hmm. you know yeah. not like cartoon monsters but like a real forensic kind of slant on things was just so like ominous and scary and like real you know like it really impacted me a lot yeah have you have you had a chance to have a chat to jeff walker at all uh yeah we did a, a tour of the states with them in Gorguts, which was like a childhood dream realized oh, wow. for me you know? yeah. and uh definitely the high points of my life for sure and uh, i've talked to him a bit um i can't ever seem to get to that level of like he's just a guy you know what i mean like he's still <laughs> like my god and i can't yeah. like i can't suppress that very well <laughs> yeah I, I get that that'd be like if i uh was was going to talk to someone like billy gould or les, les claypool from faith no more and primus respectively they're about the two guys that I'd have trouble sort of putting out in the normal guy category because of the impact they've had on me as a musician and the inspiration that they've provided, you know. And uh, I, I, was, I was actually talking about this the, this with Bill Steer, and, and I said, I, I don't think you guys quite realise how influential you've been because they're so humble, right, which is great, you know. But it, <laughs> I don't think Bill realises that without them doing what they do, half of death metal wouldn't sound the way it does these days. Oh, for sure, you know, and uh, uh, it's good to see them getting their dues now, you know, since they've reformed, like, mm. headlining big tours across the states and, like, getting the props they've always kind of deserved, you know? Very mm. cool. Yeah. I know you like Celtic Frost as well, because the few Celtic Frost posts that I've put up there, I've got a... Is, is it a bot that you use on Twitter where you get that automatic... Ugh! You get that thing? Uh, it's, um, yeah, it's some... Um, it's a kid from the UK that does it. But uh, yeah, I, I started following him just so that every time he popped up and said, uh, I could like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, classic. Oh, that's what it is. There you go. Yeah, I was wondering what that was because I, I'm a massive Celtic Frost fan. I think we all are as extreme metal fans. And uh, I, I, in particular, I've got to say, I love Cold Lake. I know everybody hates on that album, but um, I wasn't old enough at the time to remember when it came out but i got it a couple of years later and i was completely um oblivious to the fact that it was considered a shitty record because i really liked it you know this is back when you're you're about my vintage early 40s you know back in the day when there was no internet you relied on magazines and if you picked up an album by one of your favorite bands and if nobody else and if you weren't reading magazines and you liked it you weren't influenced by what was written in the magazines um sure sure it was all like a much slower trickle of information you know what i mean oh it was yeah do you you think it was better back then compared to now or just different i think it's just different you know like i love the internet and the ability to comb um the international scenes of metal and the history of metal and uh you know find like albums like only a few were pressed but uh they live on digitally you know but Mm. also uh the purity of that old era of like 
um, looking through the thank you list of an album for cool band names and then the trying band. to find yeah. those records, you know, or like blindly buying records based on the cover or, um, you know, looking at the t-shirts that, uh, different bands wore and like trying to find those bands, you know, it was like, um, being a sleuth, you know? <laughs> It was, yeah. Oh, look, I, I remember I was talking to Mike Browning yesterday. You know Mike Browning from McTurnus and oh, early, of course, of course. Yeah, le- legendary guy, fantastic guy. Yeah, um, I really that that's a band that doesn't get its due right there, especially Mike himself for his contribution. Uh, I said what I said about Carcass, but I, I really double down when I talk about Mike Browning and his contribution to death metal. I mean, he's pretty much the guy. He and Cam Lee, and I know that Jeff Becerra sort of was doing his thing, but that real brutal guttural death metal vocal that's those guys who really sort of came up with that and i was talking oh, to sure. him yeah i was talking to him about uh you know all that sort of stuff but uh fuck sorry i've forgotten what i was going to say so it's too early in the morning sorry i flew away i was going to make a really good point <laughs> out mike <laughs> browning <laughs> no worries fuck it. man what are we doing? That's awesome. very cool <laughs> Yeah, oh, I was very interesting to talk to him. I'd been, I'd actually been uh, on Facebook Messenger to him for about twelve months, and I'd been asking him to come on. Do you want to come on the show? Do you want to come on the show? And he's, he's, yeah, yeah. Um, just got some other things going on at the moment, and I literally hit him up about two or three days ago just because, you know, sensing an opportunity of what was going on with this bloody virus, and uh, he accepted. and And I knew when I got him on the call that we just have heaps of things to talk about, so we spoke for almost three hours. Um, oh wow, that's insane. Yeah, well, this is this is what happens when when you have an opportunity to speak to. Uh, it's, so same thing happened with Stuart Anstis, who used to be in Cradle of Filth as well, and wrote Cruelty and the Beast, that album there, that classic album back in the day. Is that not a lot of journo types or indie journo types are reaching out to them to have conversations? So when you actually do, they've got a lot to say. Oh, that's cool. I love Cruelty, man. That uh, definitely influenced uh, a young Black Dahlia murder for sure. Yeah. Did you know that he wrote that album? Because of Danny very much presents, and I'm not talking shit about Danny here. I know he's got his, you know, he got to pay his mortgage and you know, all the rest of it uh, through the band success. And all. but the one thing that really shits me is the way he doesn't give credit to guys like Stuart, who I mean, they're the musicians. They wrote the bloody albums. He just effectively sang on them. Really, it is you know, it's a bit more nuanced than that. But ultimately, that's what happened. And when he did that bloody re-release last year. Uh, a remix or whatever they did of Cruelty and the Beast, and there was no liner notes with updated uh, information and interviews with guys like Stuart and uh, Les Smith and, of course, Barker, Nick Barker, that incredible drummer. God knows what he's uh-huh. doing these days. Um, but I, I like it when bands honour their past, and, and I don't know whether Danny's done that that effectively. Yeah, that's a shame for sure, you know, to kind of like have the knowledge and the props uh, Stuart deserves to kind of like lost the time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He's such a, I mean, he's such a tremendous guitarist. He'd, I'd love to see, uh, I'll plant a little seed here. I'd love to see a band of, of your standing, you know, of your uh, credibility, reach out to somebody like that and have them do a guest solo or something like that, because they're basically just being lost to the scene, really, if you know what I'm saying. And, and because these guys are very humble guys, like Mike is and like Stuart is, they don't. They don't ever say too much, so they don't sort of reach out. They're not self-promoting like some people do. They just sort of right. lead their life and have got their job and raising families and stuff. But man, I've got a keen ear for these things, and I, and I, particularly with Stuart, man. I mean, his contribution to black metal is just so totally overlooked. He's he's the guy that brought in 
neoclassical, a new wave of British heavy metal guitar playing to black metal. Yeah, man, that's a, you know, a very, uh, like, pivotal record for the scene. Very important album, I feel like. Yeah, indeed, yeah. Man, I'll make this my, my final question for you, but, um, look, your ninth album, um, it sounds like it's getting easier, but is it? You know, does, does it get easier to sit as a collective and try to write the stuff that you're coming up with? Because it's really on point with this album, with the discussed first up. Uh, yes and no, you know, like, there's something to be said about... Um, having worked together for so long and made so many albums together that makes it easy. But at the same time, um, we're always elevating the kind of technical aspects and uh, it's challenging to kind of rise to that occasion sometimes as a vocalist and uh, really honor the music that the guys have written. I feel like they're always getting better every, every record. So I'm mm. just like doing my best to keep up, you know. Yeah, I agree, mate. Yeah, or well, you're definitely keeping up. But I mean, it's just to think. I, being you're like me, mate, a child of the '90s. I thought heavy metal was going to go completely underground there in the late '90s, meaning that there was no chance that any bands could ever have the broad reach that say you guys have achieved or Cannibal have achieved. I know the business side of things is very difficult, mate, but just to think that you guys are now at, I think you're at your ninth album, uh, Counting Back. Yep. And, yep. mate, that's that's more than just a, you, it's a, more than just a career. I don't know what to call it, but it's, I mean, you're doing it. You're actually doing it, mate. So you did you, back when you were listening to Countdown to Extinction, did you have that single focus, that vision that it was just going to happen no matter what? Or is the, the fact that it's become a career, is it is it as much of a surprise to you as, say, as a, as a fan like myself? I mean, it was a surprise, especially the uh, longevity and the ability to kind of survive different trends that have happened in heavy music. But uh, it was just a dream as a kid, just a wish, you know, like I never expected it. Or never, like, I didn't really see the potential to be in a real band at all until Black Dahlia. Uh, the, the guys were so much better at playing their instruments than anyone else I'd ever, like, aligned myself with. I was like, wow, this could really be it. You know, this could be the band uh, mm -hmm. that gets me out there. Like, I just wanted to make one album. Just one album on a real label and, like, tour and like just live that dream that I, I thought about so much you know and uh to have it just keep going and going and getting bigger and bigger and like more success and more more um just it's been like a giant snowball this whole time so mm. uh i'm just seeing the opportunity through and honoring the opportunity the best i can you know like by like mm. just um dedicating our whole lives to this thing you know so um i'm still like just seeing my dream unfold it's been surreal to say the least it's been an amazing uh ride mm -hmm. yeah and that's that humility coming through that i talked about before with guys like yourself you know that and that really comes through i know you're very active in the media and <clears throat> you're out there mate but you've definitely got that humility down pat and i think that's part of the draw with this music and indeed black dahlia murder mate so Mate, I'll leave it there. Thanks for the conversation, mate. Look, good luck with everything. I really, I really hope you haven't lost lost too much dough with this. You know, the tour that you were doing with um, Testament and um, the other bands. Uh, 
coming up. I hope that hasn't sort of hurt you too much in the hip pocket, mate, because we'd dearly love to see you down here again whenever this thing's over. Ah, man, thanks a lot. I really appreciate the support and the uh, kind words. And, uh, yeah, we'll get out there as soon as possible, man, for sure. <laughs> Definitely. All right, brother, good luck with everything again. Thanks very much for the chat. Hey, no problem, man. Take care. You too, mate. No worries. Gotcha. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-List Online. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith, and that interview subject was Trevor Stranad from Black Dahlia Murder. Thanks for listening.